0: Well, I hope that you have all had a good week this week. I know that we're, we're leading into Christmas and everything's probably getting really busy and you've got uh, gatherings to go to. And I thought, I wondered to myself, with COVID, maybe it'll not be as crazy because, you know, maybe you can't meet. But then I kind of found out that, no, everybody's just meeting in smaller groups. So now instead of having one big party, you have like two or three different gatherings because you're getting in these smaller groups. I thought, oh man, it's maybe more crazier perhaps. And so uh, whatever your situation may be, I hope that you've had a, a, a good week and that we've been able to stay focused upon why we celebrate Christmas. Also, I hope that you've been able to stay warm. You know, it seems like the cold just came out of nowhere this week. It's been chilly lately, but all in all, not that bad. It seemed like this week it all of a sudden just dropped about 15 degrees and and winter came upon us. Um, I I guess, technically, uh, winter doesn't officially start until tomorrow. Uh, December 21st is the winter solstice, the first official day of winter, but... It sure did seem to come a bit earlier uh, this week. Um, you know, the first actually, I wanted to check for myself, so I went onto the AccuWeather and was looking at the, the reports. and In the first few few weeks of December, the highs were in the mid to upper fifties or so. Uh, but this last week, the highs dropped to the low to mid-40s, okay? Uh, this last Sunday, just a week ago, the high was nearly 61 degrees Fahrenheit, but the high on Tuesday and Wednesday was 43, so an 18-degree drop in just a matter of a couple days. Uh, I don't know if you saw on Wednesday or not, but there were actually small little uh, snowflakes being blown around. It was a windy day um, it wasn't enough to really stick on the ground or anything, but still, there was there was snowfall uh, this week. Uh, now I know, and I realize that we uh, all come from different backgrounds and different places all around the United States and around the globe, and p- people have differing opinions on snow and what it means to them and what sort of images it brings to your mind. Uh, I remember the first snowfall we had after moving here to Iwakuni. It was about an inch or two on top of my car, and I was just so excited. I was like, oh my goodness. I actually went and got a ruler out of the house, and I like put it on there. I was like, this is like two inches of snow, and it was like so, thought it was the coolest thing ever. I posted it on Facebook, and don't do that, okay? Because your friends from Montana and Idaho are just gonna <laughs> blast you, and and sure enough, I got like that's not snow, and then they s- started sending their pictures, and uh, okay, sorry, you know, my bad. Um, you know, I I I grew up in Southern California, okay, so to me, two inches of snow is a big deal. Um, you know, we used to have this one family that fellowshiped with us whose wife absolutely hated the snow. If it started snowing, she'd just be like, oh, just in a funk. Uh, and while they were stationed here in Iwakuni, I think we had more snowfall during their time here with us than we've ever had. Uh, and I, it was interesting because it was right when we first got in here, like, man, it snows in Iwakuni all the time. It's awesome. And, and then they left, and it's like, we don't get any snow barely. Uh, so I thought, oh, God's sense of humor, you know, how he works. (laughs) You know, I, for one, having grown up in Southern California, am not used to getting much snowfall uh, locally. We could drive up into the mountains to see it and and play in it, but it wasn't something that we dealt with on a regular basis. And so for me, you know, I associate snow with, you know, great memories, of fun okay sledding hill slides and skiing and snowboarding on the slopes uh, having snowball fights and making snowmen and snow angels just all around good times but for others who grew up perhaps in colder climates, it brings back horrible memories, okay, of blizzards and having to constantly shovel your driveways and your walkways and pouring salt out. And I, I guess that's what you do. I've never had to do that, but I've been told uh, that it's not enjoyable. And uh, this, the sight or thought of snow just is like, oh, I, I, you know, it's freezing cold and just a lot of bad memories, okay? So I understand that perhaps this week, if you saw the snow, it may have created different thoughts and images in your own head. But I have to be honest, okay? Considering the time of year and seeing those few little snowflakes floating through the air instantly made me think of that old classic Christmas song made famous by Bing Crosby called White Christmas. You guys know White Christmas, right? Okay. No, no. Come on. You know White Christmas, right? All right. Everybody raise your hand, Okay. (laughs) Now, even if you don't like snow, okay, the song White Christmas itself is is amazing, right? It's a classic. Uh, Even though it's been nearly 80 years since its debut, it's still a favorite of many and actually holds the world record. It has the Guinness World Record uh, for best-selling single worldwide at over 50 million copies, Um, which is kind of crazy to think that a song way back in 1941, I think it was, uh, 42 when it was... uh, Released holds the record for um, the most singles sold. So, as soon as I saw those first bits of snow fluttering in the air, I instantly thought of how awesome it would be to have a white Christmas. And uh, you could probably imagine how many white Christmases I've had growing up in Southern California. Uh, After living in Southern California, I moved to a subtropical island, Okinawa. I lived there for 10 years. So Not very many uh, white Christmases for me. And so, you know, the thought of having a white Christmas got me daydreaming and, and remembering that song that talks about dreaming of a white Christmas. You know, Christmas is a time of dreams, a time where many perhaps daydream of past memories and the fun that they've had. For some kids, it's a a time where they feel like all of their dreams come true based upon what they find under that Christmas tree come Christmas morning. But what many don't realize is that the actual account of Jesus' birth and the events associated with it actually involve a number of dreams. I was uh, just looking over the accounts of the birth of Christ in Matthew uh, and in Luke and, and reading it over and in Matthew I just was n- noticed over and over again this idea in a dream this happened and in a dream this happened and in a dream this happened and over and over again these mentions uh, uh, of dreams and so uh, as I was studying I thought maybe I'll do this a uh, special message on all these dreams and then I got through just the first dream and I said okay We're just going to do the first dream, and uh, we'll see what happens next week. Maybe we'll do with part two. I'm not sure. Um, It would have been way too much to try and look at them all. So we're just going to look at one dream uh, today, and we're going to look at a portion of text that contains uh, one of those Christmas dreams. And so this is the last Sunday before Christmas Day arrives on Friday, so I thought it would be appropriate for us to, you know, take a look back at the birth of Christ and for us to be reminded of the reason we celebrate this time of year. And for many of you, you'll be very familiar with this account. But I do hope that we will come this morning with an open mind, wanting to be reminded of the events surrounding the first Christmas ever, back when our Lord and Savior entered into this world as a babe born in a manger. May we continually be in awe of this amazing event. So for our time in the scripture this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew's gospel account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And the title of our message is going to be Christmas Dreams. And we will be covering Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And so why don't you go ahead and make your way to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And then once you are there, will you please rise to your feet in honor of God and his word. If you do need to borrow a Bible this morning, feel free to reach down underneath one of the chairs around you. Uh, if you don't see one there, um, feel free to lean over to your neighbor and ask uh, to follow along with them. I'm sure they won't mind. Okay? Matthew chapter 1. Everyone there? All right, here we go. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different translation, I want to encourage you, do your best to follow along. Matthew records for us his own account of the birth of Christ, beginning in verse 18, as he writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold... The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he humbly came to this earth, Lord, not as a conquering king, Lord, not as some triumphant ruler, but Lord, he came humbly and meek in the form of a babe. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that our hearts and our minds would be just focused upon you this morning and focused upon this incredible gift that you've given to us, your son. Lord, I ask that as we consider just this dream uh, and the context uh, and the events surrounding it, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and that you would be glorified in our time together. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Here in our opening verse, uh, verse 18, we are introduced to two of the main characters in the birth of Christ as we read about his mother Mary and her being betrothed to her husband Joseph. Now, understanding what it means to be betrothed to someone is very important to the overall understanding of what is taking place here in the scriptures. A betrothal was part of an agreement that had been entered into by two people who had plans to be married. In a sense, it was like what we call an engagement today. However, the overall commitment and the status of a betrothal was much more serious than our modern-day engagements. To the Jewish people in that day, betrothal was actually equivalent to marriage, except that the man and the woman did not live together, nor were they to be involved in any um, intimate relations. Okay? They were called husband and wife, um, and they were treated as such legally. In fact, in order to back out of a betrothal, the husband would have to file for and submit a certificate of divorce. Without one, it was actually impossible to even end the betrothal. And so, you know, maybe today some people get engaged and then they realize, nope, this isn't working. And, and it's like, hey, before we get married, let's, you know, we're going to go our separate ways. And you couldn't do that. You had to file for divorce if you were betrothed to someone. And so uh, at the end of the betrothal period, which usually would last about a year, the groom would come for his bride and take her to be with him, and they would then consummate their marriage. Their union together would bring an end to their betrothal status and begin their being bound to one another in marriage. At this time in our text, Mary and Joseph are in the middle of their betrothal period, legally They are considered husband and wife, but they have yet to come together and consummate their marriage. And I imagine for Mary, she had certain ideas in her head of what her wedding day would be like, what it would be like when Joseph, her groom, would come to her and and take her away uh, to start a new life uh, together as husband and wife, uh, as a married couple, as one. Perhaps she had dreams as a little girl of what it would be like to one day get married. I, I believe today, I don't have any girls, but you know I see TV and, and have, uh, do have a niece. Uh, many little girls dream of what their big wedding day will be like. Uh, some have the day all planned out, and they're just waiting for that all-important groom to fill in the final uh, remaining piece to the overall plan. You know, some want big weddings with the whole family, others dream of getting married on a secluded beach with just a few of their closest friends. And and while the dream may differ from one girl to the next, I think that most girls have at least thought about that day and, and perhaps daydreamed a bit, wondering what it would be like. But something happens here in our text that has the potential to perhaps ruin that dream of Mary's. For we read that before they came together intimately, she was found with child. Mary was pregnant. Now, Mary's pregnancy could have turned into a very big problem for Mary, if not for the angel that visited her and told her beforehand that, was go- that this was going to happen. We don't read of the, those details here in the Gospel of Matthew, but we do know that from Luke's Gospel, that an angel did come uh, to Mary and informed her of this pregnancy that would come upon her. The appearing of the angel to her and, and his words to her were something that initially troubled Mary, Okay, and it caused her great fear. Mary didn't quite understand what was going on and how she could become pregnant and deliver a baby seeing as how she was a, vir- a virgin and, and had not yet known a man. And that is when the angel informed her in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. After hearing the explanation given to her from the angel, Mary's heart was set at ease, and and she declared, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And we are told in our text that this pregnancy was of the Holy Spirit. This, of course, is speaking of the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, some people will try and question the the virgin birth of Jesus or say, really, it's not that big of a deal, but it is. It's very important, okay? The virgin birth is the belief that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit without the agency of a human father and that Jesus was born while Mary was yet a virgin. The doctrine of the virgin birth is very important to our faith. It's actually crucial to Jesus being the Son of God because Jesus had a human mother, But he did not have a human father. And due to his unique conception, Jesus as the babe in the manger was 100% God and at the same time 100% man. The virgin birth is what allows Jesus to stand in the gap as a representative of man and at the same time God who is without sin. And so Mary's pregnancy was miraculously uh, brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people have tried to explain it. Look, at, it's a miracle. Okay, that's what it is. And, and there are certain things that we just need to understand. It was a miracle. How did that happen? It was a miracle, okay? If God can speak the world into existence, I think he can make someone pregnant, okay? Um, and th- that's it's what the Word of God tells us. And so we have to trust and believe that that is what happened here Mary was chosen by God to bring forth his son. And what an incredible blessing and a privilege that was for her. And yet, at the same time, somewhat of a very awkward and difficult situation to consider. Mary's betrothed to Joseph. You know, they plan on being married and spending the rest of their lives together. What will Joseph think about this pregnancy? What will others think about this pregnancy? Though in the sight of God, Mary was highly favored, what will others see in Mary's pregnancy? Mary's name, her reputation was on the line here. Pregnancies outside of marriage were a huge deal, okay? Not so much today. Uh, I was talking to a sister uh, earlier this week, and she talked about how in the States, more kids are birthed out of wedlock than they are in, wa- in, wedlock, uh, in marriage uh, today. and uh, so marriage outside or birth outside pregnancies outside of marriage, excuse me uh, aren 't that big of a deal maybe today, which is I think another topic what we 're uh, not going to get into today, but back then, that was a huge deal, and that was a major offense. If Mary tried to explain herself and and tell people that God had visited her and that the child forming within her was the son of God and that she was still a virgin, how many people would actually believe that story? Obviously, I, I don't think there would be many. It would even seem that Mary didn't even tell her betrothed husband of these details. She was informed of it beforehand, and then it's not until later that Joseph discovers, wow, Uh, you're pregnant. (laughs) So uh, it was something that she kept quiet about and uh, we can understand why. Well, as we look at her situation, I, I think, you know, we need to ask ourselves, what can we gather about this situation and learn from regarding the situation Mary finds herself in? As was the case for Mary, there may be times in our own life when God wants to do something really amazing in our life, perhaps even something miraculous. But it may come with the risk of looking like a fool to those around us. And it may come at the expense of our own name and our own reputation amongst others. We will be forced to make the decision of whether or not we will allow what others may say or what others may think to keep us from what God wants for us. You know, it's sad that there are many today Who because of fear of what others may say or what others may think, they keep their faith to themselves or worse yet, they will not come to faith in the first place. The Holy Spirit is calling them, but yet they are afraid of what other people will say. They're afraid of what other people will think. Mary was willing to overcome what others may say or think to be used by God in an amazing way. She didn't let what others may say or think keep her from what God wanted to do in and through her. So she did not fear these uh, external fears. She did not allow them to keep her from what God had for her. And I hope that we would be able to do the same. That we wouldn't allow outside pressures, outside influences, what others may say or think, to keep us from being just fully committed to the Lord. And, and willing to do whatever God may be laying upon our hearts. Let's turn our attention now to that of Joseph. Verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. According to verse 19, Joseph was a just man, or a righteous man, your translation may read. He was faithful and upright. Joseph already had a good name for himself. He was known you know, as a just man, a man that could be trusted to do that which was right in the eyes of the law. No doubt, Joseph, too, had dreams and aspirations. Here he was, a young man, betrothed to a young lady who, who loved the Lord and who herself was a, a woman of good standing, a woman of great faith. I'm sure Joseph had dreams of getting married starting a family and living a quiet life in the Lord. But this dream of getting married and and starting a family of his own with Mary seems to be turning into a nightmare as he becomes aware of Mary's pregnancy. And Joseph is now faced with a dilemma. What should he do? How should he respond to this situation? The woman he loves, the woman that he has pledged himself to marry and spend the rest of his life with is all of a sudden pregnant and he knows that it isn't his child. How would you respond? Put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a second and consider the situation yourself. It's a a very difficult place to be in. A situation that was nothing like you thought it would be, your own dreams and aspirations that seemed to be in sight, okay, you were heading towards it, you're in the middle of this betrothal, yeah, you know, man, it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this arrives, uh, this pregnancy comes. A, A very big detour. How would you react to such news that the woman you're engaged to all of a sudden was pregnant? As Joseph pondered the situation himself, there were a couple of avenues that he could have went to. Number one, Joseph could have publicly brought Mary before the religious leaders and charged her with sexual immorality, potentially putting a death sentence upon her. The law actually prescribed That if a woman betrothed to a husband was found to not be a virgin, that the woman would be brought out in front of her father's house. And there she would be stoned to death for doing such a disgraceful thing for playing the harlot in her father's house. And so this was a very big deal. And so that could have been what Joseph did. It would be perfectly in line with the law and what the law prescribed. Joseph could have privately put her away by giving her a certificate of divorce that would only require two witnesses to be deemed legal. Deuteronomy 24 speaks of the details behind how a man can put away a, a woman by writing her a certificate of divorce. You can read it later if you'd like. Or Joseph could have just continued his relationship with Mary, trusting her and, and, and as if nothing had changed. He could have stuck by her side and went through this time of great testing and stretching together. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph was leaning toward option number two, okay, to privately and quietly put Mary away by writing her a certificate of divorce. So let's continue. Verse 20. It says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph pondered the decision to make, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and informed him of the nature of Mary's pregnancy, that it was indeed, in fact, of the Holy Spirit. She had not been unfaithful, and uh, she really was uh, pregnant of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Joseph was afraid, because the angel says, do not be afraid. So we understand that he was very fearful. Okay? He was afraid to take Mary to be his wife. What did he have to fear? Well, he had public shame and disgrace in the eyes of those around him. Uh, imagine Joseph, a, a just man, a righteous man, known for Doing that which is right, walking around with his betrothed wife, who by law is not allowed to have relation, and she's pregnant. How would people think he had earned himself this reputation among others as a just man? How would staying with Mary and continuing his betrothal to a pregnant woman impact his good name and his overall reputation? As we look at Joseph's situation, I think we can glean something here for us as well. The angel told Joseph not to be afraid. And that's something that stood out to me. Listen, we don't have to fear what God wants to do in our life. Joseph had built up a good reputation for himself, one he feared he could lose, one he feared would be damaged by taking Mary as his wife. Joseph had dreams and aspirations of his own that I'm quite sure didn't include taking someone to be his wife who was carrying someone else's child. But Joseph didn't have to fear because God was at work and God would actually elevate Joseph's name. For Joseph, by staying with Mary, will forever be remembered as the earthly father figure responsible for helping to raise God's own son. Forever, Joseph's name is united with the account of God's son being sent to this world. Whatever level of respect or esteem he had built into his own name, God took it to a completely different level. We don't need to fear God ruining a good name or a reputation. If anything, our relationship to God and our submission to him will only bring more good to our name. As we'll see, Joseph didn't let his own internal fears keep him from what God wanted to do in and through him. In verse 21, the angel informs Joseph that the son that will be born to Mary is to be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Old Testament name of Joshua. uh, And the Hebrew pronounce it as Yeshua. Um, The name in Hebrew means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. So the name of Jesus is very important for us to understand because his name identifies for us his mission. Okay, what he will do. God told Joseph to name the baby Jesus because God was going to use him to bring about his plan of salvation. Jesus was to be the savior of the world. An angel of the Lord proclaimed to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' mission in life was to become our Savior. He was born to save us from the penalty of our sin. You see... We all have a very big problem, uh, a nightmare of a problem. Each and every single one of us have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us. And our sin, it separates us from God, according to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Our sins not only separate us from God relationally, but they also lead to only one possible conclusion. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of our sin is death. There is no way around it. We can't pay this debt with any sort of material funds. We are spiritually bankrupt. And the penalty against our sins is insurmountable on our own. But Jesus has come to save us from the penalty of our sin. How can he do that? How is he able to save us? Well, we see how in the next verse. Let's read verses 22 and 23. It says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here Matthew quotes from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 to be exact, where Isaiah prophesied of the virgin birth. Interestingly enough, Isaiah said they would call his name Emmanuel, not Jesus. Is this a contradiction in the Bible should Joseph have named Jesus Emmanuel? No. Not at all. Okay, Emmanuel does not refer to a proper name, but rather something he will be referred to as. It is a title of sorts. Jesus will be referred to under a number of different titles according to the scriptures. According to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Jesus would not only be called Emmanuel, but in Isaiah 9-6 we read that he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty King, Everlasting Father. Prince of peace. Jesus called himself the bread of life in John 6:35, the light of the world in John chapter 8 verse 12, the good shepherd in John chapter 10 verse 14. He calls himself the resurrection and the life in John 11:25, adding he says, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In John 14, 6, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. In Revelation, he said that he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. None of these titles are meant to be used as a proper name for Jesus. They are titles. They are descriptions of who he is, of what his character is, of what his nature is. The name Jesus described Jesus' mission, what he was to do to save us from our sin. But the name Emmanuel describes his nature, who he is. He is God with us. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word Was God. Then in verse 14, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word become flesh that dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is God, and that is how He's able to save us. God alone is able to save us. From our sins, because God alone could meet the righteous requirements of the law. No human could ever live up to the full demands of the law. It took God coming down in the form of a babe and living here amongst us, experiencing the same trials, experiencing the same temptations that we do, and yet not. Beco- not falling into sin, not giving in to sin, overcoming. God came and he lived a sinless life. And then he turned around and he surrendered that life upon the cross and he died in our place. God the Son allowed himself to take on the sins of all humanity. He bore the weight of all our sin when he went to the cross. He suffered and he died for us. Jesus came and he dwelt among us so that he could die for us and take away the penalty of our sins. But then three days later, he rose again back to life. He defeated sin and death. He overcame the grave. His payment upon the cross for our sins was accepted by God the Father, and now salvation is offered to us freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 declares, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans also teaches us that if we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus Jesus, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You see, the gospel message of God sending his only son to live and die among us is really what this day is all about. It's really what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about Jesus and his mission to save us. It is about him coming and being with us and ultimately providing for us our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. That is the emphasis of Christmas. And that is why we celebrate this day, the nightmare of our sins and their penalty against us can all be wiped away through faith in Jesus Christ. Dreams of heaven and spending eternity with the Lord are realized through simple faith in the Lord, through placing your belief in the work of Christ upon the cross and confessing your need for him. That's the gospel message, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's look at our final verses here before we wrap things up, verse 24 and 25. It says, "Then Joseph." Being aroused from sleep, did as the angel the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did exactly what the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife and he named Mary's firstborn son Jesus. Joseph had a reputation for doing the right thing. And we see him do so yet again in these last two verses. In simple obedience, he followed through with what the Lord had for him. He put away any thoughts of giving Mary a certificate of divorce, and he trusted God to do something great. He didn't argue with the Lord over what others may say or think. He didn't try to figure out a way to explain things or to protect his own reputation. He just submitted to the Lord and trusted in God's plan. And I look at that and I think to myself, what a great example for us to follow we too have been called to walk in a simple obedience to Christ, to submit ourselves to him and to live our lives for him. And this Christmas and really every day, may we be ones that walk in simple obedience to all that God has for each and every one of us. As we consider the dreams and the desires of Mary and Joseph, and how they took a sudden sharp churn when God stepped in with a plan of his own, we learn some important things about our walk with the Lord. We learn about how Mary didn't let the external fears of what others may say or think keep her from what the Lord wanted to do in and through her. We learn about Joseph and how he didn't let his own internal fears keep him from doing what the Lord wanted to do in and through him. Though things weren't coming together as they had hoped and perhaps dreamed, They both learned to trust in the Lord and what he was doing. They needed to submit their own dreams and their own aspirations before the Lord and let him lead and guide their life, and they did so in simple obedience. And they're a great example for us to follow. But I want to highlight one last thing here before we end. Mary and Joseph aren't the only ones. They aren't the only hopes and dreams that we read about here in our account today. In our account, we get to see what the Lord himself desired and longed for on that Christmas day. God had a plan that he had put together uh, even before the beginning of time. It was a redemption plan. God knew that man, his very own creation, would need saving. He knew that Adam was going to blow it and that we all would blow it, that we would sin and need someone to take care of the penalty of our sins. And so that very first Christmas was God putting into motion his hopes and desires for us. God's dream, if I may say so, was that Christmas would be a time of salvation. A time where man's greatest need would finally be met. A time where his son would enter into the world as a human in the form of a babe with the mission of offering salvation for all of humanity. But here's the thing: God didn't just want to save us and leave it at that. He actually wanted to be with us as well. Saving us is one thing, but desiring to be with us is another. God desires for Christmas excuse me, God's desire for Christmas is that we would not only be saved but that we would enjoy a close, intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. Okay, Christ and Christmas is about God's desire to be with us. Jesus' title was Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to encourage you this Christmas season. While you may have your own Christmas dreams and desires uh, for what this Christmas holiday may bring, Don't forget about the Lord and his desires for us on Christmas. Christmas is about receiving the gift of salvation. It's about God being with us. Make sure that whatever your Christmas dreams may be, that they include spending time with the Lord and praising him for the salvation he brings. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do believe that your heart, your desire, your dream, if we could say, for Christmas was that salvation would come. That a way would be made for us to have a relationship with you in that way, that mission was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending him And Lord, I do pray, even right now, Lord, that if there is anybody here who is yet to receive your precious gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they would receive that gift. That as they celebrate Christmas, they would do so with the idea, with the understanding of what it truly means. That salvation has come. And so, Lord, I do ask that you would just stir in the hearts of those who do not know you. Lord, if there's anybody here in this sanctuary, Lord, maybe they're visiting, maybe they're a friend, maybe they're a spouse, maybe they're just, for whatever reason, they're here. Maybe they've been coming for a long time, Lord, but they really have not yet surrendered their life to you. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in their heart and in their life today. And Lord, as your word instructs us, Lord, that they would make confession with their mouth, that they would believe in their heart. Really, it's, it's, it's a heart thing. It's not special words we say. It's not a special prayer, Lord. It is our hearts acknowledging our own need for you, our own desire to receive that gift of salvation, to submit ourselves to you. Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to do that today, I pray that you would prompt them to do so. And Lord, I pray that you would do that uh, work in their heart and in their life. Lord, for the rest, I just ask that you would be with us as we celebrate Christmas. Lord, that's what it's about, Emmanuel, you being with us. Lord, I pray that in all the activities that we come to this week to come, Lord, that you wouldn't be left on the outside, but that you would be center stage in all of our celebrations and that you'd be honored and glorified. Lord, that we wouldn't worry about what others may think. We wouldn't worry about our own internal fears. But, Lord, we would just trust in your leading and guiding and, and, and allow you to do a great work. And so, Lord... Bless these, your children, move amongst them, give them a great week, I ask and pray. Again, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.